Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we've had some football here at the NovaCare Complex as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 101. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with a very special guest, former Eagles cornerback and current executive VP of football operations in the NFL, Troy Vincent, jumps on the show to talk about some of the new rule changes impacting the league this year, some memories from his playing days, and some tips for playing the cornerback position at a high level. After my chat with Troy, we jump into scouting report, where this week we break down a player that the Eagles brought in after the draft and undrafted free agency that I'm really excited about. But before we get into all that, I haven't had a podcast in the last couple of weeks, so I haven't been able to give my thoughts on the addition of running back LeGarrette Blunt, who the Eagles signed a week before the start of Phase 3 in OTAs. We know about Blunt's physical style, how powerful he is as a runner. He scored 18 touchdowns a year ago for the Super Bowl champion Patriots. Seeing him in person out of practice, though, you can definitely get a sense that as a defender, it would not be fun trying to tackle that guy one-on-one. I was also... Pretty taken aback by how light his feet were when I watched him practice for the first time. People want to try and project what is his role going to be in 2017. That I can't tell you. I don't have a crystal ball. But going back and watching tape from him a year ago when he touched the ball almost 300 times for New England, I think he can be an effect, really effective if you consider him a primary back in this offense or if you only hand it to him a handful of times in a game, you know, short yardage, goal line, that kind of role, I think he can be effective there as well. I think there are a bunch of runs in this Eagles playbook that suit his skill set and vice versa. And his demeanor, I'm excited to see how physical and his level of aggressiveness as a runner, how that fits, what kind of addition that can be to the Eagles' backfield this fall. So let's not waste any more time, though, talking about LeGarrette Blunt, who was a great addition. But I am really excited to talk with former Eagles cornerback Troy Vincent. Let's get to that chat now from a little bit later last week in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me for very happy to be joined by former Eagles cornerback and the current executive vice president of football operations in the NFL, Troy Vincent, number 23 himself. Troy, I appreciate you joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks for having me. It's always nice to travel back here to South Philly, <laughs> come inside the Novacare complex, see some old friends, look at some old photos. Sure. I'm starting to age myself now. <laughs> And then I actually had an opportunity to watch a little bit of practice today. Yeah. How was that? What, any uh, big takeaways from, uh, from well, the people on the curtain? Immediately when I come through the door, I look for the white jerseys and I look for the defensive backs yep. and just going over there. And I just love watching movement. Yep. I love watching the defensive backs move. I love watching the coaches coach. Sure. And I typically don't go back in time to try to rehash anything that I did, but I just love watching the art of that position. Yeah. It was an interesting morning. I, uh, I'm going to ask you a lot about that position a little further down the conversation. But before we get into what I initially wanted to start with, any thoughts on number 32? How did uh, Rosal Douglas, the rookie, uh, did he stand out to you in any way and how he moved when you saw him out there this morning? Move well. Yeah. Big kid. Big, long kid. Yep. I thought for a kid of that, remind me a little bit of Bobby Taylor. Interesting. Okay. Better quickness, probably a little bit better quickness. He had good – he was smooth – most of the guys, quite frankly, in watching their 
always look at you can judge a corner by his hips his ability to always say zero to go from zero to 60 mm, yep speed to power power to speed and then that quickness and watching him accelerate come out of a brakes put your foot in the ground and come out was it's just good to see sure and when you see good movement you can appreciate it yep. and actually i thought the group looked look well the, the entire group moved well. I know Eagles fans are, are very excited to hear that coming from you especially. Um, so what's life like these days for the uh, executive VP of football operations? What, obviously, you come down here, you get to check out practice, and you meet with some people. But overall, what's your schedule look like from now until the start of the season? Officiating. Yeah. So this was a big off season. We have new officiating leaders with Russell York, Al, 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 Alberto Riveron, who's now heading up um, officiating and – Wayne Mackey so putting that team together to lead our efforts in the officiating department just hired Donna Ponte to come in and assist us in football administration the offseason is about a lot of meetings yeah sure you're meeting right. with coaches I can relate you're with meeting that. with players <laughs> fans just yep. getting input yep. where's the game you're looking at from playing rule proposals you're meeting with owners you have off-season meetings it's a lot of input so a lot of people giving their opinion, their assessment. And for me, quite, quite frankly, I just have to be a good listener mm. and trying to make sure that as things be, be implemented into the game or we implement things to the game, and the most difficult part is balancing tradition versus innovation and making sure the core of the game stays the core of the game sure. while introducing new technology, new thoughts, new concepts without people saying, hey, we're messing up the game. And just the offseason is just packed with meetings, conference calls, meetings, <laughs> conference calls. Well, you guys just got done the uh, the spring owners meetings out in Chicago a couple weeks ago. Uh, a lot of rule changes coming from those meetings. Is there one that stands out to you that you're maybe most excited about seeing this fall and uh, that you'll see maybe fans will see impact the game on, on a weekly basis? Well, the one I felt like that took place actually in – in March was the leaper and that actually was a playing rule proposal submitted here by Philly which you just saw over time the point after attempt the leaper we mm, call yeah. it the leaper you just saw you knew that the inevitable was going to happen it's a dangerous play it's a dynamic and athletic play when oh, you God. see a guy leap the ability to leap over someone that's 6'5 6'4 and make a play on the ball to potentially block a PAT or a field goal this was one that injury was just destined to happen, and it could be catastrophic when you see some of the guys and the way they were landing. The players, when we met with the Players Association, it was something that they said, you know, that they were, hey, we need to get this play out of the game. So that playing rule, frankly, the playing that was the big playing rule proposal during the offseason was actually eliminating – the leaper, yeah, because it was a dangerous play. Sure, and then so uh, before we get into your playing career and more of the cornerback position, I wanted to ask you about one more rule change. And, and when this got announced late last summer, I was really excited about it, and it, and it really can impact uh, people on both sides of the table. And this is the rule about uh, NFL teams and their ability to communicate with underclassmen that are thinking about applying for the NFL draft. And it's going to start applying for this year, the 2018 class uh, coming up as scouts start to evaluate them now. What kind of led to the discussion uh, in terms of creating that rule, and what, what excites you most about uh, that rule going into place? Well, actually, it started, I want to say, three seasons ago when wow. I came in and you began to do an assessment. You do a risk assessment, and you start talking about your prospects, 
and you look at with our college advisory committee and just thinking about the underclassmen that may come out, are they getting the right information? Are they making informed decisions? And it began there with reducing the number of submissions that an actual college can submit. Mm. So just five years ago, I'll just use this as an example. You may have an institution like Tennessee, Alabama, Florida, submit like 15 underclassmen names to be evaluated. There's not 15 players ready to play pro ball that are underclassmen. And really, then you have you had about a handful that would do that, and you look, the rest may have one. Most school has none. And you're talking about over 100-plus programs. And we went back and just said, you know what, let's just set set a number of five. That's where it began. Mm -hmm. So now only a, the, the member institution at the collegiate level has the ability to just to submit five underclassmen names for an evaluation. That was the first step. And what that did was it allowed the coach to go back and say, here's your evaluation. And then we said, let's take it a step further. Let's see our, our pro scout says if we could actually get a chance to begin an earlier evaluation. Yep. That way the coach is not going back and forth with the kid during spring. Should I? The kid's already made his – the young man has already made his mind up. I'm going to get out of school. So now we allow the coach at, the, at their pro day, the their senior day, the previous day, year, pro, the day. Previous yeah, year right. pro day, to say, are there five underclassmen that you would like to include to get a poll so that so the young man, a student athlete, can get an evaluation a little bit earlier. Yeah. So it's really interesting because even you look at this year, I mean, it was 90, I think the number was 95 guys uh, declared for the draft early and 27 of them went undrafted. So you hope that with a rule like this, that both numbers kind of shrink a little bit and you bring that back. So this is when I see that it was actually the number was 28. 28 so you had, you had right, 28 yeah. and those 28 didn't get an evaluation. Yeah, see, that's tough. And that's, so our our main concern is that the young student athlete and his family, they make an informed decision. Just get an evaluation. Just don't go off a of blind fate yeah. or what you think your ability is. Now you leave school. You haven't graduated. You didn't get picked up. You're not in any camps. And now you're standing, you know, on a, you know, standing on the in the building with your hands open. Yeah. Just make an informed decision, and that's what we're here for, is to give you the information so that you, your parents, your advisors can make informed decisions. Don't go into it blindly. Yeah, I think a great example is uh, the tight end Evan Ingram from Ole Miss. He told uh, some people in the media down at the Senior Bowl this year that he had gotten a day three evaluation a year ago as a junior, went back to school, said, all right, you know, I'm going to go back. Came back out, went to the Senior Bowl. It was great. He had a great senior season. He ends up going, I think it was 23rd overall to the New York Giants. So, And, and we see that. Yeah. So when we do give an evaluation, we give first-round grade, yep. second-round grade, or if you're a third-round evaluation, we advise a student-athlete to, to stay in school, finish your education, and sure. develop as a, as, as a prospect. Yeah, and I think that's it's so interesting. And, again, for fans listening, like it's not that more than five guys can't declare for the draft. It's, the, it's during right now. Teams are now able to evaluate these underclassmen the same way that they evaluate seniors during the spring and summer leading up to their senior year. Now there's going to be up to five, and not every team has five names that they can evaluate from the underclassmen class, and it's just more information on both sides. I, I think it's really, really exciting. I'm, I'm anxious good, to see it in 2018. Good for the student athlete. No doubt. Excellent for the student athlete. Great for the coach yeah. because now the coach is not battling with the player, and the player thinking that the coach is trying to keep him back for many reasons. And also – 
it gives the pro talent, the pro personnel, the opportunity to gather this information sooner. Everybody's able to make informed decisions. I think it's great all around. Um, so let's get to, to your role in season. How much, how much football, how much film do you get to study in season and to get to take in on kind of like a weekly basis? Or is, is it tough when you get into the fall? Well, that's when it is zero focus on football. Yeah. So all 250, what, 255 games. Yep. So this is a, a typical week for myself or just say Sunday. I arrive back in New York at AMGC. That's the Art McNally Game Day Central. That's the officiating. Okay. Uh, we call that the officiating center. That's the eye in the sky. I'll, I'll typically get there about 1130. Staff will start coming around 12. So you got one o'clock kickoff. So you're just now you're inside. I'm inside of AMGC and it's just checks and balances. You're checking in with all stadium, audio, sideline, technology, making sure all communication is working. The one o'clock window is the toughest because you got some in some cases you may have 11 games going on at one time. So right. 10, 11 games, in one o'clock window. Then you go into the four o'clock. Then you have the eight o'clock prime time. So morning starts at 1130, and typically after I write up a post-game report for all of the games played on Sunday, probably leave the office about anywhere between 1230 and 1 a.m. on on Monday morning, and then back that morning because now all of the coaches, half of the coaches who lost that weekend (laughs) have their grievances grievances (laughs) and have their, you know, from coaches to players, and they're just giving your ear full. So you have to prepare your, your mind and your ear that day for the first part of that morning so as I'm taking calls from coaches, general managers, and owners, and even fans, yep. I'm going back looking at film yeah. from yesterday, just evaluating whether it's penalties, flags, injuries, the whole gamma. And then the day starts again at 6.30 for Monday night and yeah. then again on Thursday. That's a, It's a really interesting because I, I was on the other end of it when I was at Temple. Uh, I worked with our head coach, Al Golden, very closely the day after games submitting plays to the MAC conference. And it might have been, like you said, it might have been a penalty flag. It might have been an injury, a kind of a rule explanation, anything. They all kind of come through. And that's our role. And quite frankly, you just become, in some cases, I would say, I'm a sponge. I'm a a vetting block because half of the teams are going to lose (laughs) between Sunday, Monday, and Thursday. And they got to vet someplace. And I get called all kind of names. And at the end – I have a 50-minute conversation. I may say two words. Someone to say, Troy, I thank you for listening. I really appreciate you, man. No problem, Coach. You move on. (laughs) Move on. Um, So has your worldview of the game changed much since you were an all-pro corner and then moving into your current role? Like how, when you look at the game and just from a, I guess from a strategic standpoint first, has it changed at all or is it basically the same as when you played? The game's a game. You run, you catch, you throw, you tackle. And because I have Kids that play, hmm. I still teach. I teach. I actually have an academy in, in the Baltimore area. That's my pastime where I, I try to teach the kids the art of the position. And when you, see, when you see beauty and movement, it's something I can appreciate. And I would just say this. This position hasn't changed. Skill beats talent when talent's not willing to work. There you go. Skill beats talent when talent's not willing to work. And this is a game of mistakes because everyone at this level was talented. It's a commitment level and your attention to detail that will show up on Sunday at 1 o'clock at the link, 4 o'clock or 8 o'clock. And if you don't make the corrections from over here at the facility or from week to week and detail your work both on the practice field, on the playing field, from one weekend to the next, 
you got a short shelf life. Yep. But it's always skill beats talent. It's the team that makes the least amount of mistakes on Sunday. That's the team that wins. It's not the most talented team. Mm. And we see that week in and week out. So when I look at the position, I can typically you go hit you lost the play before the ball was snapped because you were in poor alignment. You didn't know where your help was. Bad leverage. Look at your hand placement. You're looking at the quarterback. As we say, you see the quarterback throw it, you're going to see the receiver catch it at this level. <laughs> it's real simple. Yeah. You're playing for the bad throw, the throw that's slightly behind. Perfect, a perfect throw will always beat perfect coverage. Yeah. A perfect throw will always that's beat great. a perfect – a good throw will always beat good, good coverage. coverage. Interesting. I like that. I like that. So you're playing – for when you get a decent pass rush, the quarterback got a slightly throw, the ball's a little bit behind, a little bit underthrown, overthrown to the ground. That's when you start making your plays. See, I, there was so much that was great there that I wish I could comment on. But uh, first thing, and it was something I wanted to talk to you about, was um, it takes me to a quote from Bill Belichick where he says, uh, talent sets the floor, character sets the ceiling in terms of uh, a guy's work ethic and commitment to being excellent and perfection and all that and how that it's not just the talent it's the work ethic and that's something that I think during the whole draft process that we just finished up I think fans kind of forget about a little bit it's not just what's his 40 time you know how many interceptions did he have last year it's when these guys meet with teams and with coaches GMs it's a it's a job interview and they get a sense of what they are personally are they going to be committed to the game are, gonna, are they good practice players are they great in the locker room and how that's got such a great impact on all how of those things add up yeah and as we would say, if you want to erode your structure, you want to erode your culture, you start picking people that are bad character people, it will show up. Mm. If you start having personnel that don't treat people in the lunchroom right, in the parking lot, from your security to folks at the stadium, you know, like a player going sign up, to me, that's a big deal. Yeah. When right. people are, that just shows me a little bit about who you are. Okay, there's a time and place, don't ignore everyone. But the attention, the detail on the practice field from hand placement. So today, again, I have my eye on. Yep. So I'm, I'm, I'm in the corner and I'm looking and I'm just from your the cover two look. And I'm looking at, OK, stance, start. Where's his eyes? Where's his head looking? Where's his hand placement? And all of those things will tell me, is he going to win this play or is he going to lose this play before the snap? Yeah, yeah that's why it's, it's so interesting because. And my, my view on the cornerback position has changed over the last few years because I think I go back to that one term that everybody uses with the corner spot, that it's a, a stopwatch position. And everyone talks about that with pro days and the combine. I've stopped – obviously it's important. You need movement skills. You need the speed and all that. But, you know, toughness, competitiveness, instincts, ball skills, like no that's not going to show up on a 40 time. No. Instinct. And you get some – I've played with people and seen corners that, that are not 4-2, 4-3. Yeah that are exceptional cornerbacks, play the deep ball extremely well. This is what I've seen that has changed probably the most. When teams say, we are a bump and run team. We are a press man team. Well, bump and run says exactly what bump and run means. If you're going to go up in the line of scrimmage, if you don't get your hands on a receiver, it's a foot race. And a good throw will always be good coverage. (laughs) So – now you're going down, and once you turn and flip your hips and you never touch the receiver, you're bailing out there. You, you're better off just playing off coverage. Yeah, right. Sure. So when you see guys in corners now across the league, and I'm not being critical, but if you're going to go down there and play bump and run or press, you got to get your hands on that receiver. 
You got to control him at the line of scrimmage to take the pressure off yourself because you're going to lose the foot race because a good throw always be good coverage. Let me let me ask you about ball skills because that's something that as that I've always kind of focused on as well. And do you think that that's something that is easily coachable or is that kind of a, a born with a trait like a God given trait? And you're, you either have it or you don't. No, I, th- I think there's something that it's a learned behavior, and I think you can train yourself hmm. to be a good catcher, good ball skills. I'll use Al Harris. Al Harris had some of the the, the worst ball skills <laughs> that you can possibly imagine, but Al didn't work on it. So after practice and during practice, because he was a little gun shy, and you can see if you ever watch any tape, his ability or his inability to locate the ball while it was in the air, he panicked at the end. But those are things that you could work on every day until you sit down and say, hey, man, we're going to work on this every day. We're going to we're gonna catch 10 extra balls in this position Every single day until you get to the point where I got to catch an extra 200 balls. Yeah. And that just becomes a feel. It's very teachable. Doesn't take a whole lot of talent. It takes a commitment and the dedication of just doing it every day. Repetition. Yeah. Or I guess it just becomes, like you said, a learned behavior and you're just doing it naturally. Behavior. That's right. Interesting. So then uh, let's go back. You mentioned Al Harris. Do you have specific memories? Obviously, you were here for such a long time where you kind of look back and maybe you walk through the building and you kind of think back to certain memories of people you played with when you when you were here? Well, I didn't have m- many memories today, and yeah. I told that to uh, <laughs> today's Spadero. I was like, you know what, John was walking me through some of the new decorated areas, and I said, well, how, did you, how, does, how do they determine who gets up on the wall? And they was like, <laughs> well, these are like from the championship teams. I'm like, well, I was – wait, wait a minute. I was part of many of the championship teams – but I see Freddie Mitchell photos everywhere and Corey Simon photos everywhere. Like, okay, like, what happened to me? <laughs> what happened to someone? You know, what happened to Trot? I'm like, are you? And when he said that, I'm looking, I'm like, that's Freddie Mitchell. I see Jeff Garcia. I see Corey Simon. I'm like, wait a minute. I was responsible. I was part of some good teams. <laughs> so. That's pretty good. Well, I mean, you you helped yourself by m- helping that rule go through on the leap, or the Eagles proposed that rule. Now yeah, maybe so show the, me the some picture's going to go up. Show me some love. That's going to be something you can look for uh, the next visit here. Troy, I appreciate the time here at Chalk Talk on the Eagle on the Sky podcast. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great stuff from Troy. And, again, you could follow him just like I do, at TroyVincent23 on Twitter. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating, and even leave us, leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out to Chucks Marinan, who left a comment on our iTunes page recently, and Chucks asked uh, about Donnell Pumphrey, uh, the rookie, the fourth-round pick out of San Diego State, and he commented, and he left a really thoughtful question about how a lot of people want to write him off and say he's only a third-down change of pace back because of his lack of size and power, and, he ch- and Chucks said that he's got the ability to, if he adds a little bit more muscle, he can take around 15 carries a game. He's, he's, what separates him is his vision and his toughness. He doesn't try to bounce everything outside. He'll run inside between the tackles just as much as anybody, and he wants to know, is he the only one who thinks he has that kind of potential? Chucks, I would say, no, you're not the only one who thinks that he has that kind of potential. Do I think that he's ever going to be a feature back, you know, a 20-plus carry a game guy? Not necessarily, 
But I was really drawn to Pumphrey because of that physicality, because of his instincts and his feel as a runner that you brought up in that comment. I think he's got the ability to handle a little bit of a bigger workload than a lot of people will give him credit for. But when you size does matter in the NFL, and he is a smaller back, so he's never going to be that feature guy. But I do think that he can have a very interesting effect on this Eagles offense, not just in 2017, but you're looking at 2018, 2019, and beyond because of his abilities as a receiver. Right away, I think he can fit in in a number of different roles. And it was very interesting to see in his first week in OTAs how often he was moved around the formation and the, the different things they did with him. It's going to be really fun to watch Donnell Pumphrey in this season as a rookie. Speaking of Donnell Pumphrey, I'm glad that you brought him up, Chucks, because one of our editors here at the Eagles, Chris Malinich, was tasked with putting together all of the times we talked about all of our draft picks on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. Went through all of the pre-draft episodes, cut down all of the times we talked about those draft picks before they were Eagles. So since Chucks brought up Pumphrey, let's take a little bit of a look back at all the times we talked about Donnell before he was made an Eagle. You mentioned how he's a little bit undersized, so I'm going to kind of stick with that theme for my last player here, a player who's also undersized. That's Donnell Pumphrey, uh, an incredibly productive career at San Diego State, but he weighed in at just five, uh, five foot eight, 169 pounds, which is very thin uh, for an NFL running back. But what I wanted to see from him this week was how he, how hard could he run, how he could uh, bounce off of contact. Obviously, they don't tackle to the ground during drills, but we did see him running with a full head of steam, and I thought he kind of served himself well. But I look at Darren Sproles and a guy who it just seems like he keeps getting more and more productive. But I think at some point Darren Sproles is eventually going to slow down. I could be wrong because he seems like he's just going to keep going. But Danell Pumphrey, I think, is that kind of change of pace back. Could maybe do some things on special teams as well. Look, obviously you could say this about every undersized player. But if you look at Donnell Pumphrey and what he did at San Diego State, not just numbers-wise, but the traits that he showed as a runner. And if you made him, say, two and a half, three inches taller and you know, 15 pounds heavier, mm-hmm. we'd be talking about him in the first or second round. I yeah. mean, he, he's got good vision. He's got good blocker. He's got soft hands. Uh, I like everything about his game except his size. I mean, his size, there has never been a running back drafted in the last five years as light as Donnell Pumphrey. He's in the, t- the bottom 10 percentile in height, in hand size, in arm length, everything across the board. He's just not does not have the size you want for the NFL level, but I like everything about Pumphrey's game, what he does between the lines. For me, my, the other guy that you really have to trust the tape on, it's, it's Donnell Pumphrey, and I think he's going to have good numbers in the drills, especially in the speed drills this year. But I think the measurements that he comes with, comes in with at the combine are what's really going to take some people to say, uh, I don't know about him. I don't know if he has the size to compete at the next level because I think he's listed at around 5'9 by San Diego State. But when we were down at the Senior Bowl, he came in even smaller than that. He was skinny too. Uh, I think he was under 180 pounds. So uh, I think those numbers are going to kind of scare some people. But if you go back and look at what he was able to do at that size at San Diego State, he's not afraid to run in traffic. So I think if you go back to his Tape, you'll like what you see from Denell Pumphrey. Five eight and a quarter, 169 pounds, yeah, under, under 170. That's not good. Doesn't play that way. Yeah, give him Doesn't. credit. Does not yep. play that way, but still, it's hard to ignore that when trying to fill out your NFL roster. Teron, I wanted to ask you two guys that you got to see in person, one at the Senior Bowl and one at the Shrine Game. Cornerback Jeremy Coutre from Middle Tennessee State and then running back Donnell Pumphrey from San Diego State we saw down at the Senior Bowl. Tell us about both players, two different positions, but certainly areas of perceived need for the Eagles moving into this offseason. When you look at Donnell Pumphrey, the first thing I think of with him as a playmaker, 
I told him in Mobile, I said, you know, I don't give you a position. Your position is playmaker. And he's someone that you could run inside when you want to. He's someone that obviously has the speed to get outside. You put him in the slot, he could do a lot of things. I saw him against San Diego State two years ago, and that's really when I fell in love with him as a prospect. He had three touch, two touchdowns in that game. And if you just look at just the matchups, this league is all about matchups. So when you take a Donnell Pumphrey, he's a guy that is too shifty to be covered by a linebacker. And if you bring a, a, a DB uh, down and have him cover, now you're opening things up for a Zach Ertz or for someone else in the offense. So I think Humphrey brings a lot to the table. Obviously, you have the questions about his size, but he runs bigger than his sizes, you know, bigger than 169 pounds. Just look at the senior bowl where the, the big safety from Connecticut tried to hit him and, uh, you know, he absorbed the hit and fell forward and not backwards. Those are the type of things that when I look at him, that makes me think that he's very capable of running inside. Now, I'm not saying pound him inside, but you can run him inside. He can absorb the hit, and he's someone that could be a big-time playmaker. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you earlier that I would get to my notes on a really intriguing player that the Eagles picked up in undrafted free agency, a prospect that I saw as absolutely being draftable, especially in this class. That's West Virginia center Tyler Orlosky. Let's get to that now in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so for scouting report this week, Tyler Orlosky, 6'3 and 3'8, so just over 6'3, 298 pounds, so a little bit on the undersized side, under 300. You typically don't see many offensive linemen drafted around that size, and that might be one of the reasons why he did slip in the draft. But you're talking about a player who was a second-team All-American this past season. He was a first-team All-Conference player, a player that I've studied for the last two years. So going back to 2015, I've seen a good amount of his play over the last couple seasons. He was a three-year starter and a two-time captain lining up at center for Dana Holgorsen in that air raid offense. And when I watched him in 2015, I charted, he was only penalized one time. He only gave up one sack during that season. And that was really impressive, especially considering how many plays they run on that Mountaineer offense. Pass pro, he's pretty stout. You know, he's got the ability to absorb contact and withstand a bull rush. He's got quick enough feet to slide with interior rushers, and he does a nice job picking up stunts and twists inside. He's a heavy-handed kid that shows some flashes of pop in his hands. While he's not a wow athlete, he's very efficient, and he maximizes his quickness. He's athletic enough to be effective at the second level, both in the zone run game as well as in their screen game, where he was able to climb up to block linebackers and even safeties down the field. And what I liked about Orlowski, really competitive kid that gets after people. He will put you on your back if he's got the opportunity, and he was always looking for work in pass pro. Now, why did he fall in the draft? Well, one of my big issues was he, he tended to negate his natural leverage with poor pad level at the snap. He'd stand right up, especially in the run game, and that was his main issue because he was already a bit light, so when he plays high, it only created more of a problem for him, and that's something that's a technical flaw that he can start to work out throughout this summer, without throughout this spring, as he gets ready for his first NFL season. He never really overpowered anybody at the point of attack last year, and I thought, thought that he would really benefit from an NFL weight program. He did get tossed around a little bit this past year. So excited to see him put on some more weight and get a little bit bigger and stronger. I'm excited to see how he looks this summer. Tough, battle-tested kid. Again, maximizes his talent, enjoys the physical element of the game of playing up front in the trenches. I'm not sure how high his starting upside is because of his frame and his lack of core strength, and he's not a top-end athlete. 
but I think he's going to stick as a backup, and I thought that he would fit really well in a zone run scheme with the chance of developing into a starter down the line. So that's how I feel about Tyler Orlowski, a guy that I thought was really, really intriguing coming out of West Virginia, and great stuff from this episode from Troy Vincent and all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And, again, if you get the time, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. Do not be afraid to leave a question on there, too, because I'd love the ability to answer it here on the podcast, just like Chuck's did, to be able to dive a little bit deeper into Donnell Pumphrey. Go on to Apple Podcasts, go on to Stitcher, leave a comment, go on to Libsyn, and we will answer it here on the show. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you all next week.